This is Inspiring Minds, a podcast focused on thought-provoking conversations between BSB students and our world-class faculty. Welcome to Inspiring Minds. My name is Bernadette Gorotowski. I'm currently a senior accounting major at the Villanova School of Business, and I'm a student worker in the VSB Marketing Office. Today, we'll hear a part of one of my conversations with Dr. Steve Andriel, the Thomas G. Leberker Endowed Chair in Business. He teaches emerging business technology and AI machine learning for business. He spent years studying the role of technology in business. We talked on Zoom about artificial intelligence and how it might shape business and professions like accounting. So I was just wondering how you think um, accounting and auditing will be affected by chat GPT and like some things that I know I did for writing that were a lot different than maybe like a humanities class would be like writing a control system walkthrough. So would chat GPT be able to do that one day? Like, would that be something that auditors wouldn't really be needing to do anymore? So the simple answer is yes, absolutely. Right. So chat GPT, we're up to four now, version four, version five is coming, version six, seven, eight. And there's also some competitors, right? So there's BARD. What they're doing is enabling inferences, predictive inferences. And, and I suspect um, many people actually don't know what chat GPT stands for. I mean, I think that's kind of interesting, right? When you think about it, it's, it's generative pre-trained transformers. And the reason why that's important is because you can train anything. You can train any of these models to understand how to do things. So for example, if I wanted to train a model to decide whether or not it wanted to give a loan to somebody, right? I could train it on the parameters of those decisions, the variables that are used, right? Credit history. Um, things of that nature, credit score. Um, I could use those in a rule, if you will, to say, yeah, this person deserves credit or they don't. So the same thing is true with, with these what are called large language models, which represent the intersection of all that kind of inferential knowledge with an interface, meaning you can talk to it, you can type questions in, you can give it all kinds of queries, anything that's especially wordy, right? So is, is really... Um, a target, if you will, or what should we say amenable to the capabilities of ChatGPT and other large language models. So yeah, I mean, certainly marketing, you're a marketing major. Um, so yeah, I mean, marketing, I mean, I could ask it to develop an entire campaign for some product or service. Would it give me an answer? Sure, it would, very quickly, immediately. Would it be perfect? No. Would it eventually be near perfect? Yes. So, you know, paralegals, marketing campaign directors, uh, people that create content for a living are in the crosshairs. And I don't mean that in a terrible way. I just mean that, um, in fact, let's, let's go the opposite way with this. This is really an opportunity to leverage um, a tremendous amount of knowledge embedded in previous experience uh, that can help us do our jobs, or if you choose to see it this way, or replace us. Um, and there'll be both. I believe it's like singularity, which is like the point when computers would be smarter than people and individuals. And just like kind of like in an audit perspective, like one of the big things is like setting materiality, which is always something that's very um, heavily dependent on professional skepticism and professional judgment. Those are like all the words that like the CPA exam loves, like professional judgment. So is there going to be a point when maybe like humans won't be making those judgments and like AI can be making those professional judgments and like then maybe even they could make it better than a human could? Yeah, it's a great question. You mentioned the singularity, right? And that's something that that some people are very fearful of, so certain famous people like Elon Musk and Bill Gates and 
Warren Buffett have expressed great concern about the coming singularity. I don't share that concern. I think that in many cases, your reference to judgment, uh, however good or poor, um, can be augmented at the very least by machines. I mean, for example, if you ever watch a baseball game and they show you the four corners, right, of the strike zone, and the the umpire makes a horrific call because everyone, everyone is watching the overlay on TV of those four corners of the strike zone. And you think, could a machine do that better? Absolutely, it could do that better. Um, there's many, many of these tasks that are considered in, in the field of AI to be well-bounded, called supervised learning versus unsupervised learning. Machines are terrific at supervised learning. So to the extent that you can teach a machine, and the machine can teach itself, by the way, we're talking about what's called deep learning, about how to do any task, including auditing, as well as creating a layer of skepticism based on its understanding, based on previous interpretations of skepticism. It could certainly generate a probability of some outcome based on judgments about maybe we should be more skeptical about these numbers than we might normally think. Maybe there's some history of the company that we're auditing that has some concerns. Maybe there's some concerns about the auditors in the past that may not have been perfect after the fact. Maybe we've determined that they weren't perfect. There were some imperfect auditing going on in 2007, 2008, for example, that we came to know all about. Well, machines know about those things. They can be taught about those things. They can teach themselves about those things. And they will go back and say, you know what? Um, the same auditors auditing the same kind of, of institution, organization, corporation, not-for-profit, doesn't matter. And, you know, back then there were some concerns. So maybe I, now I'm speaking I, right, in terms of the machine, maybe I will offer something like, maybe there should be some caution here. Maybe we should be a little concerned here. Like another hot topic, or not hot topic, hot word in auditing is like reasonable assurance. And that's not absolute assurance. It's always reasonable because you can't go through every single transaction could you maybe in the future be able to do an entire audit that would give complete assurance if you can use computers to kind of go through every transaction instead of having auditors like pick sample sizes and, you know, kind of do more like because like a human can't possibly go through every transaction. But would we be able in the future to do like complete assurance audits? I don't want to say it's never going to be possible because there's always mm -hmm. uncertainty around the data. And there's always things that are not always provided perfectly by the organization that's being audited, right? So there's always going to be some reasonable uncertainty, some reasonable assurance around these things. Will we, again, think of it as a continuum. Will we get further along? Yes. Um, and then the question is, where is the human going to intervene? Um, it may not be the human that intervenes. It may be some semblance of a another um, another piece of software, another algorithm that intervenes, so to speak. I mean, look, I mean, I've been doing technology for a long time and there are, there are times when you sort of have the sense that, well, you know, this is truly transformational. So the internet, as an example, we all knew way back when that the internet would be truly transformational. All of us knew way back when, when, you know, I was on the tail end of the development of it, we knew that this was going to become a transaction engine. We knew that people would eventually be paying their bills over the internet. We knew that communication uh, would be ubiquitous and seamless over the internet. Um, AI, machine learning, generative AI, transformational. I don't say that lightly. 
right? There's there's all these organizations that study the, the sort of trajectory of technologies and, you know, where they're going and the impact they're going to have. And they're usually wrong because what they tend to do is they overhype technologies. As a professional in this field, I find it difficult to overhype this. I almost hate hearing myself say this, you know, because the, the, the probability back to that of being wrong is, is in a sense always higher because we don't know what the future is going to pretend. But that said, I've just never seen anything like this. And I think fields like auditing, accounting, law, um, the diagnostics around medicine, I mean, we could go on, are all going to be incredibly impacted by this technology. And I actually think, and now I'm going way out on a limb, I actually think we're underhyping it. I think the applications here are almost endless. And, you know, I started in the piece in Forbes talking about, you know, the kind of obvious ones, right? That, and, you know, in the example I, I used, and you're probably going to get to this in a question, but, you know, from a professor's point of view, can you generate a syllabus for me? Well, of course I can. It did it. It's a pretty damn good syllabus. And you say, well, how is that possible, right? But what I didn't write about in the article, from a student's point of view, what can the student say, oh, you know what, what do I really need to learn about auditing? What do I really need to know about intermediate accounting? What do I need to know about marketing? You know, I'm about to, now, accounting is a little bit different because it, it has a CPA requirement, which is great because it's actually, you know, gives you some well-boundedness, which I mentioned before. But many other fields don't. <clears throat> so it's almost like the student could reverse it. I talked about the professor saying generate a syllabus. But a student could say, tell me everything I need to know the past, to pass the, the, the exam, the CPA exam, right? I would love that. Yeah. Well, you can do Try it. Yeah, like speaking of overhyping, I was just smiling a little bit before when you mentioned that the first time because my well, my grandfather was born in the 1930s and then my dad was born like in the 60s. And my grandfather told my dad, you have to study computer engineering. You have to study robots because that's going to be the world in the future. Like everything else is going to be not important. Like you have to learn engineering and how to code. And that was just what my grandfather believed like a hundred, not, like not hundred years ago, 1930s. So I guess like almost hundred years ago when he was born, but like, do you think there are any professions that are safe? Like you were saying, like accounting is going to be in the crosshairs and like paralegals are in the crosshairs. So I was just thinking like, from what I've heard growing up, like, what do you think? Do you think there's anything that would be safe from chat GBT or will really every profession be like changed in some way by this new technology? Well, first of all, your grandfather was brilliant. Um, honestly. He was a very smart person. <laughs> yeah, to see that far into the future um, is impressive, to put it mildly. I think the larger question is, is, will any profession be free from technology of which generative AI is one, right? So it's not just generative AI. Generative AI brings all of the, all of the knowledge embedded in machine learning into an interface that allows us to tap that knowledge. But there are certainly other aspects of technology that will impact other fields, all fields, all fields. I mean, if I were studying to be an accountant today, I would be spending as much time on accounting principles, practices as I would be on technology. Because I think so much of the accounting field, so much of the marketing field, so much of the medical field will be impacted directly by technology. I think anyone that's that's trying to become a professional in a field that doesn't have a wide and deep knowledge of digital technology is by their own decision, graduating as an obsolete professional. You were kind of already hitting on it, but like the ethical dimension of chat 
GBT and you were saying how like it can be trained to give credit loans. So is there any concern in the field that maybe, you know, if there are like bad biases in the system, such as to not give loans to people of a certain race or gender or age, like, could it be kind of problematic that way where it'll like perpetuate in the future where it won't give loans to a certain gender and like that could keep going in the future. So like, is that kind of like a problem is like the, the data that AI is building off of now for like an on an ethical standpoint? It is. And I think that not just ChatGPT, but but all the algorithms. So the best case that maybe you're familiar with, lots of people are, is facial recognition. And we already know that there are biases in the algorithms that attempt to interpret the data around someone's face. And based on that, we'll make inferences about their behavior. Uh, we know that's been going on. We're trying to fix that. We as a field trying to deal with that. The best way that we're trying to deal with that uh, going forward is another subfield of AI called explainable AI, acronym XAI, okay? Explainable AI, where the algorithms basically show themselves and they say, here's how we did that calculation. Here's how we determined it was your face, not his or her face, and therefore made inferences. That's the field's first attempt to deal with the ethical issues that you've raised. And I think it's really important. That's the first step. I mean, there may be some other steps. There may be some algorithms that go off and search and look for biases. Um, so algorithms that search for biased algorithms. So, you know, sort of the way chatbots do today and there's chatbot wars going on all the time in the internet, on the internet. So I think, yeah, I mean, you raise a really important point. So the algorithms that make the judgments need to be kind of inspected. They need to be uh, opened up for inspection, either by humans or by other algorithms. We're heading in that direction very quickly. Will it solve all the problems? No, it won't. Remember, so in the case of ChatGPT, it's pulling from long, gigantic, it's called large language models to make inferences. So, you know, to the extent that the large language models are not perfect and they're not, you know, then you've got, you've got some issues. I think there was something, 60 Minutes did something that was kind of interesting. They asked Leslie Stahl, who's at CBS, they asked, where does she work? And I think it said NBC, made a horrific mistake. And so there are instances of where interaction with ChatGPT can be almost embarrassing. It's not perfect. Mm -hmm. Will it get better and better and better? Absolutely. There is no question about that. So I think we need to be thinking about not today necessarily, but where these technologies could be in three to five years and then the impact on the professions, which is our job as professors to be able to help you project out three to five years, regardless of the discipline, the major that you've chosen, regardless. I mean, you think marketing is going to be the way it's been? I mean, digital marketing has damn near replaced half of marketing from 10, 10 years ago, right? Um, there are already models out there in generative AI that apply directly to business functions. So you can find generative AI models for marketing, for HR, for finance. Yes. One thing I read or maybe I like, I like the Wall Street Journal. I listen to their podcast or like try to read the articles when I can. And I saw this one article about how like for the HR function, when they use like a AI model to predict like who would be worthy of a promotion, who should be promoted, it tended to lean more towards men just because like historically there has just been more men in business so and there's also a big racial component to it too where it's like obviously can be skewed one way or another so like the inputs for ai are very important and i know you were talking about 
like making it like XAI and having kind of like the algorithm algorithms available. But do you think some people would be reluctant to make that like kind of open source because they would want to keep their algorithms that they're writing because it's kind of like their intellectual property or like what is the general consensus on like it being my intellectual property or like open source for like all AI usage for everybody? Like, is there kind of a debate about that? Well, there's a lot of debate about that, lots of discussion about that. So IP, I mean, look at what's going on now with TikTok, right? And all the algorithms around all social media. So, you know, they've not exactly been exposed, right? And they, they've claimed that they're trying to make making them more transparent, but they really haven't because that's their competitive advantage. But you raised something that was really interesting. You mentioned that this bias toward men over women uh, in the facial recognition thing, which is gender biased. Um, I mean, race, racially biased. You're absolutely right. But here, the, here's the beauty of these models. They will adjust for that. They will absolutely adjust for that. Because what you just did, which was a way of doing XAI, right? You just made that open, so to speak. That will then be, become part of the large language model. So the, the algorithms will basically say, you know what? There's a bias here. We need to explore more deeply that bias. And then in a sense, texturize, or or I'm looking for a certain word here, you know, the nuance, we have to basically um, rethink our answer to that question based on that data that the Wall Street Journal and you just raised. So the beauty of these things is that they're dynamic learning. They're not set in time. And so, you know, people will criticize certain business fields as being kind of rigid, and, you know, with all due respect, accounting has often been played, right? I'm good you're nodding. Um, <laughs> accounting has often been in that in that box of fairly rigid professions, as opposed to some others, right? That all of those, those issues around bias, gender bias, racial bias, will now be incorporated into the large language model. So I'm, I'm kind of less worried about that because I think it's going to self-correct quickly. You said, will machines be smarter than humans? I think we need to introduce the distinction between smart and efficient. So in certain kinds of tasks, machines will be more efficient. It doesn't mean that they're overall more intelligent than humans, but it means that the certain tasks, they're just more efficient. As I mentioned several times, it depends on the tasks. I'm just laughing because I know um, I'm, I used to do like the VSB ambassador program and a lot of parents would come up to like the table where the ambassador sit and they would be like, how do you get in here? Like I have my son has a 3.9 GPA at high school and like a 1500 on the SAT. And they always tell us to tell the families it's a holistic review. So I guess I don't know if maybe AI will be able to do these holistic reviews because nothing is already simple as just um, doing like a scatter plot of GPA to SAT, it's already kind of moving more towards like activities you do. So now I guess people can still do things like that. And um, AI can do those kind of holistic reviews. It can do all of that, right? But it's really, really good if you have just those simple variables that you mentioned, like SATs and, and GPA. That's where it shines, right? So these algorithms will be unbelievably more efficient to the extent that the variables are quantifiable within a range. So, you know, GPA <clears throat> and whatever it may be, I think that that's, that's where we're heading for sure um, on certain kinds of tasks. Now, you've just introduced some other variables. You said activities, for example. Well, how do you interpret the value of an activity overlaid against the culture of a university or a college? That's subjective. Could a machine be taught to do that? Sure. Would it be as accurate <clears throat> as when it only looks at those quantifiable? No, it wouldn't be. 
if you choose to have a problem and therefore a solution interpretable by humans or by so-called softer variables, machines will need help. And there you have a scenario where you've got a hybrid or a partnership between the machine and the human. You know, I mean, so if you look at, at, at the impact of legacy on acceptance decisions, they're very, very high. I mean, it's 20, 30%, at least. I just read something the other day that for Ivy's, it was 41%. That's staggering. Well, okay, could I, now could I build the algorithm to say if there's a legacy involved, right? It's, it's I weight that a certain way. I can, I certainly can. So, I mean, I think we're, we're in this period of time where we're trying to figure out which problems are the most impacted by these technologies. Again, not just generative AI, but across the board. And we're struggling. Right. So in accounting, for example, or any of those kinds of, of well-bounded, so-called rigid, um, I use the word and you agreed, uh, so, so-called rigid professions, you know, there's there's something called which you probably through your internship, RPA, robotic process automation, where basically you take the tasks that take the most time and effort and money and you try to automate them or you try to replace them. OK, um, or you eliminate them. And that's the sort of the first step toward automation, because your grandfather had this right. That's the first step. And now we're moving into, you know, a much more sophisticated kind of automation. And we're talking about generative AI today. Well, yeah, I mean, now we're, we're you know, your grandfather would be amazed at this. We've gone from phase one to phase three or four very quickly. Okay. So yeah, we're, we're at that one of those, those pivotal points. That was part one of a conversation with Steve Andriel the Thomas G. Lebrecht Endowed Chair in Business, who teaches emerging business technology at the Villanova School of Business. In the next episode, we'll hear part two about what business professions and upcoming professionals like me need to do to prepare for the world of AI that's coming our way. Thank you for listening to Inspiring Minds. Stay tuned for our next installment featuring more VSB students discussing research topics with our world-class faculty. 